0: Okay, then everybody, this is episode thirty-one of the Between You and I podcast. I'm here with my cohort Ryan Lane. Hello,
1: Hello. how are you doing, Carrie?
0: I'm doing good. Um, I am at the tail end of because um, the nat the regular winter cold that I used to get all the time, but since we've been in isolation, I haven't been sick in like a really long time. And then my son goes back to school and.
1: Oh right, right. That's the best way to catch things as kids in school.
0: Yeah. So I'm getting over it. I'm almost over it. It's a chest cold. It's the worst. Um, But today we have uh, Tanya Sisson, who is a coach. She coaches human design and gene keys and health and wellness. And Tanya and I actually came up together in um, getting our coaching certificates. And that's how I met her. Um, And she's one of those people that I instantly clicked with and then have since met other amazing people through her. And so we're having her on today to just talk about like her whole coaching and especially human design and gene keys, which for those who don't know a lot about that stuff, it's really fascinating.
1: Cool. I'm excited to meet her.
0: My friend here today is Tanya Sisson, and her and I, like I said, had come up together getting our coaching certificates, um, and Tanya's gone on to like work in like health and wellness, human design, Gene Keys, and we will get into all of that for, for those who don't know anything about any of that.
1: Yeah, I've never heard of Gene Keys before,
0: so I'm excited to learn. Oh, it's, you it's... just wait, Ryan. <laughs> you just wait.
1: It's not a Scooby-Doo reference, right? No. Okay, good.
0: It is not. It is not. Well, Tanya, do you want to give us a little background about how you came to coaching? I mean, I'm sure a lot of it I I know, but like how you came to coaching, your path here, life path to coaching, and then um, what you've discovered you love to focus on right now, all all of this human design and gene keys and such.
2: Yes. Thank you for asking. I, so I came about life coaching sort of, by accident, I spent thirty years as a licensed nail tech and designer and teacher, and you know I spent my days holding women's hands, sometimes men, um, talking about everything that was going on in their lives. My um, my interest was in health very much because I had struggled with my own health quite a bit my family also had a lot of health struggles. In fact, my mom just recently passed from a collapsed lung and Mm -hmm. having just had open heart surgery. Right. So Mm. um, and my father is also passed. He passed from uh, kidney disease and uh, he also had heart issues and diabetes. And so I spent a lot of time trying to figure out what was wrong with me and also in relationship to so many people, like I would talk to them quite a bit and I always wanted to help people. I wanted to talk to them about their feelings and not having grown up with any sort of help or understanding about how to deal with our emotions or How not I like, I learned really well how to stuff them down. I learned really well how to avoid them. And I spent a good deal of my time in a place of what's called functional freeze um, through a, a bunch of traumas that had happened over my lifetime. And so I got to a point where I knew I wanted something more. I loved what I was doing, I loved the creativity of it, I loved the connection, the people but I knew that there was something more that I needed to do. And I got introduced to the idea of a life coach. I think one night I was up doing a Google search. <laughs> like, what would, what would this profession look like? If I had, <laughs> if I could, if I could choose what I did, if I could help people with their health. If I could help people with this or that. And I tried a few things before I got to this place. I, I, explored going through um, getting my degree in exercise science I explored maybe going into some sort of medical profession or some sort of counseling profession and ultimately here is where I landed
0: Hmm. yeah yeah and we did the same certificate program which is based in Portland and that's how we met right yes um and we have such a funny like also like meet cute uh so I ended up meeting Tanya's good friend Heather Reynosa um (laughs) who is a who also worked in the same nail tech like industry you guys had that's how you guys know each other is that correct right
2: that is correct uh we met when I worked for CND which is a professional nail product company and we were teaching Mm -hmm. so yeah
0: Well, it was really funny, like Tanya, I, Tanya didn't know anything about my particular Northwest music background. And, you know, we're just two gals meeting around coaching. And that's, I mean, I don't go into things going, hey, by the way, y'all know who I am. (laughs) (laughs) Because that would be ridiculous in my mind. Um, And so, you know, we're just two gals learning coaching or whatever. And Tanya shared with her friend, Heather, hey, I'm working with this gal, Carrie. And. I think you said my last name and Heather like lost it. She was like, hold on. Like what? Because Heather's a singer. She's a big music lover. And so I just think that's really funny. I love that kind of kismet, right? Yeah. It's not really about me or whatever, but I love that. And Heather's a big personality. So she, I love that Mm -hmm. all of a sudden, you know, a whole nother chunk about someone. I think that a lot about anywhere I go, people in the room, I'm like, I bet there's things about other people. We just don't know at all. Right. Yeah. oh yeah so I just think that's a funny moment when Heather was like holy hell what like big fan of karaoke or whatever um, you know, was was funny about
2: that too is that um I had done one more stint at a place we called nail camp and uh, I remember the year before Heather showed up at nail camp and I remember one of the girls was totally fangirling Heather she, she got all cool. excited she's like oh my god Heather's here. Heather's Uh here. And then it was almost like a year later when I said that I was gonna be that I had met with you and that we had become friends. And she was like, Wait, what? My
0: gosh. (laughs) So it was
2: it was hilarious because I got to see both sides of the fangirl moment. Yeah.
0: Right. And it's like it's fangirling on somebody you like is that's a lot of love too you know what i mean like there's people i fangirl over or whatever but (laughs) i remember heather and i joked too about one time because heather's uh, like done backup singing for me now and all this sort of stuff and there was Mm -hmm. a point where she would say like i'm fangirling and then at some point we're working together i'm like you need to get over that (laughs) (laughs) like that shit's gotta end and she was like and uh, this is what i love about heather heather was like okay (laughs) she's done (laughs) Hi. (laughs) And yeah so any hootie. but um, yeah, so we came up in the same you uh, so coach training world, right? Yes, is based out of Portland. Um, I got just your um initial coaching certificate, but they do like international coaching focuses and things like that. What did you yeah. end up all um getting uh when you were there? because you got more than just the kind of initial coaching
2: yeah, certificate. I- I stayed on for what was called the the whole person coaching program, and we did go into just a little bit of trauma and emotion and that sort of thing. It was just barely kind of scraping the surface of it. Um, even less intrusive than say a COVID test, you know, let me scan <laughs> your, let me really swab your brain. Um, and so, yeah, I ended up being there through April. I think you were done in January.
0: hmm yeah. 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 And for those out there who don't, or are sort of like, what the hell is life coaching anyways? You know what I mean? So in the training, there's a very distinct note about like life coaches are not therapists. Right. Right. That we make the very distinction of like, there's a big difference between life coaching and a therapist. Like a therapist is trained for much deeper you know, work around traumas and anything, right? There's a lot more education behind it. Um, We will definitely hear about people's state of mind or their history or the things like that. But in life coaching, it's more about meeting the person and saying, you know, what do you want? What do you want to build? What do you, you know, like helping them map out or um, identify or, you know, remove blocks in order to get to where they want to go and what, whatever that is, if it's like a business goal, a personal goal, a healing goal. Um, there's a lot, a huge spectrum in life coaching where you, where life coaches can help. Um, and I, I feel like a lot of life coaching is also getting people to stop, hear themselves, um, remove old stories, you know, or perspectives. There's so much of that minutia that's in the way. Mm -hmm. Um, that we end up dabbling into, and so I think it's really um, great—not that it probably felt great at the time—that you have like this life experience of freeze trauma. Do you want to talk about more about what that is? Yes, I would be happy to. So, one of the things
2: that I discovered—it um, was—it was a little bit hilarious—that one of the things that would constantly come up, you know, when we're when we're going through life coach training we always have to have something to be coached on, right? And I would constantly bring up my calendar. I need to be coached on my calendar because it's like overrunning my life. It is like it is packed with so many things. Uh, Even when I got uh, through with coach training, I was still trying to manage my calendar. And it turns out that part of my coping mechanism for some of my traumas were to keep myself extremely busy. It was to um, try to be all things to all people because I was completely disconnected Mm -hmm. from myself. So um, I studied a lot about the polyvagal theory. Uh, Stephen Porges, Dr. Stephen Porges um, really kind of brought that into the forefront of trauma. And then Peter Levine, uh, I took a training, Smart Mind, Smart Body, with Irene Lyon. Um, I took a number of different trauma trainings, was reading tons of books, Dr. Hawkins, Dr. Joe Dispenza. And what I discovered was that um, as a life coach, you know, we talk about our goal is to be helping people move forward and we leave the job of the past to the therapist, but mm-hmm. you cannot separate them. Uh, so what I was experiencing with this functional freeze as I was walking through life is all these traumas that I had, basically I had blocked or stopped movement through emotion, um, which by the way, was one of the things that blocked me from manifestation, manifesting the things that I wanted in life, whether that was Mm -hmm. health or money or anything else, um, Mm -hmm. Because when you go into a trauma response, you first go through maybe a little bit of fawn or then you switch into fight. And then from fight, if you feel like you cannot match your opponent, then you move into flee. And so you push things, you push people away. It's the equivalent of essentially running. And then if none of that works, we slip into this almost catatonic like state and it is our functional freeze or it is freeze for some people. It's not so functional. Like if they're in deep anxiety or deep depression, it makes it really hard to function because you're essentially in that limbo state where you've gone back into your, your animalistic brain that is said like certain death is imminent here, play dead. Mm-hmm. And the body has chemistry designed to essentially anesthetize you right. so that you don't feel the pain of what you consider to be your imminent death. And the, the thing is, is that death can look like a spouse that is, um, demanding. It can look like kids that, um, are making are like you have this feeling of being overwhelmed, like trying to be a good mother. It can it can show up as a boss that sends you an email that says you missed your deadline. It can show up in so many ways. And when you've gone into that space and you don't know how to get out, you end up basically living your life in what's called functional freeze.
0: Yeah, what is the, so explain to me, what's the poly, am I going to say it wrong? Polynegal? poly polyvagal theory. Polyvagal theory. What is
2: that? It's, uh, it basically, I'm, I'm not going to do Dr. Porges just total justice <laughs> here, but, that's all right. um, and, and I'm just going to get into a couple of tender spaces here. Just want to okay. let you let you know. Um, polyvagal theory is how our basically how our human bodies still have instinct to react to certain stressors and that fight, flee, freeze progression that happens. So for instance, like a woman that might be in a dating situation and out with somebody and doesn't feel like they have the ability like i was i was sexually assaulted when i was 13 Mm -hmm. and when i was 15 years old and Mm -hmm. when that happened i had i had this mind talk this this ego talk that says afterwards that said why didn't you kick him why didn't you push him away why didn't you do something to defend yourself but in the moment my senses were telling me that I was not safe, that I couldn't get away. And our animalistic body, our instinct will just automatically override any sort of reason. Any sort of like, it goes into that automatic response as part of your uh, central nervous system. So imagine for a moment, like our, our bodies get conditioned, our central nervous systems get conditioned from the time that we are born throughout our childhood. And those patterns, those responses, especially if we haven't had parents that have a regulated nervous system, we, we learn our nervous systems from our parents, right? They're mirrored Mm -hmm. to us. And so imagine if you will, uh, you're in the kitchen, you're chopping up some vegetables, and you drop the knife. You're not going to say with your mind, oh, I just dropped a very sharp knife. I should probably get out of the way so it doesn't skewer my foot, right? <laughs> you would do that before, like your body would respond and do that for you before you had the opportunity to think it through. Mm-hmm. Now, if you can imagine an animal like a pet or a child that was perhaps sitting next to you while you were chopping up vegetables that child could be even watching what you're doing and is not going to jump out of the way Mm -hmm. because they don't see that or understand that as a danger just yet Mm -hmm. right Mm -hmm. we learn that from our parents we -hmm. learn how to soothe or some of us don't learn how to soothe from (laughs) our parents So in that situation, like in the sexual assault, I had a coding in me from very young age. And, you know, who's to say exactly what all the elements were of that, but my father left when I was very young. And one of the things that I had to work through myself as I was pulling out of this functional freeze was a a story, a patterning, a coding that was within my body that said, if you make them angry, they will leave. Mm -hmm. There was the huge attachment issue there, right? Um, So here I was with this boy that was older than me and was old enough to know perhaps know better, perhaps not. Um, And the idea of pushing him away felt like, a not safe thing.
0: Mm -hmm.
2: And so I allowed to happen what happened, but it wasn't really me allowing it. Mm -hmm. It was this, it was the jumping out of the way of the knife Mm -hmm. kind of thing. It was an automatic response to just literally shut down.
0: Yeah. Yeah. And I think, I mean, I think, I think everyone, men and women have, it's it will have their own responses to based on everything you just said, like your upbringing, mm-hmm. your mirroring, whatever your parents showed you. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, I hear, I mean, I definitely, we definitely relate a lot to it as women, right. The, especially freeze. Yes. Because if there's no training on like, Hey, you know, voice your opinion that that's not okay or whatever. I mean, freeze, freezing becomes very common. Yeah. Um, if I just freeze, whatever will stop or I'll minimize it. You know what I mean? Things like that.
2: And fighting isn't uncommon either. Um, Mm. There are some people that get stuck in almost like functional fight, right? That's their Mm. response to everything is to be confrontational to maybe to push. Um, I know when my husband and I first got together, um, we would get in a disagreement and he would leave That was his way of protecting himself. Like he would just remove himself from the situation. And I remember at one point being able to say to him, thank goodness you can be mad at me, but please don't leave. Like go in another room. Right. I I can, I can deal with you being mad at me, but don't leave. Cause every time he would leave, it was like, (laughs) it really hit that attachment wound. But his, he was never, angry but my father was my father was very much stuck in functional fight right that was his response to everything he would get angry um he would lose his temper and he probably learned that from his parents
0: right, right. and we all have this we all have our like stories and ways and reasons why we do stuff everyone does everyone yes. has their and the unraveling of it in terms of the discovery is so fascinating like I mean, you and I've talked about this a lot, too, just discovering, um, like, my responses and where they come from, and you talk sharing you sharing yours, and just being like, oh, like, almost really eureka moments of like, oh, that's why I'm doing it, or that's, or, oh, that's what I'm doing, you know, it's not mm-hmm. like I thought, said, what are you doing, Gary, you know, it's like, oh, I might have had another story around it, but yeah. if you trace it back to, you know where something comes from it's really re- it can be really revealing and also I just I find it's very relieving to just understand more understand yourself more understand your friends or your partners more right and it never ceases to amaze me how complicated people are <laughs> right, right just when you think you know right like ah you know and our we have natural defense, you know, reactions to things Mm -hmm. that will usually not, that aren't based on knowing some of these complexities about another person. But when you do finally delve into them, it's like, oh, like, wow. That's what I find fascinating is really getting to understand why, not only why someone does something, but that people are separate. Yes. Right. Like, and that's a relief, like it's not about you, you know what I mean? Or especially in relationships, like you're. I find defense mechanisms can be so much about like me and that person, you know, or me and you or whatever. Mm-hmm. But really, it's just me and all, my, you know, my reactions and what I'm doing. And and the truth is that person comes from a whole nother planet, like respectfully, a, a yeah. whole nother life experience, a whole nother reason why they do what they do. Um, and it would be very easy, and I think it's pretty common to just never ask enough questions to realize that, or just never know that, and just kind of constantly be in a quandary, like or anger or whatever. Um, so I, I get really grateful for all the discovery um, because I personally don't want to remain that angry. <laughs> I don't want to be angry, you know. I, um, yeah. And and we've talked. You and I have talked a lot about that stuff. Um, I think it's really interesting, like even though life coaches are not therapists, there's a lot of study and information to help understand a person and why they might be uh, a couple of things, like why they might be stuck, but you know, what things will help them have the most optimal outcome of whatever goal. And I say that really broadly because it doesn't have to just be a business goal or a life goal. It could be, um, what would you like that goal and be happy? Yes. You know, right. Like we, we, we automatically get caught up in like uh connected to or hearing about like much more about a person's life than just like the goal.
1: Yeah. It um, seems really hard to keep the therapy side separate. Yeah. Like I mean I'm surprised I don't know how you do it cuz I'm like I guess officially you can't be a therapist but <laughs> the human factor is so big in this.
2: I yeah. actually kind of celebrate the fact that I'm not a therapist <laughs> because <laughs> if I was a therapist I would be bound to certain regulations and certain mm-hmm criteria and I actually think I have more freedom as a life coach um than I would
0: have as a therapist huh. so yeah the bonus. well and in co- in coaching too at least in the certificate we have there's there could be either a really um a more regimented protocol like how you're supposed to like ask questions you know like and not lead and you know, there could be a real which which is good teaching. Like the, you don't want to solve. You're not there to solve it all for the person or tell them what you think or project or all that. That's that's a no. Um, and there is life coaching that's very much kind of co- constantly like, well, I don't know what do you think. I don't know what do you think. I don't know what do you think. But I I don't know about you, Tanya. But like that always wasn't enough for me. I was like, I want to get in there with someone respectfully, and I mm-hmm. I will say ahead of time with people like. I promise you it's not about me. I promise that you're safe. I, you know, like you are in control here. Um, I'm going to try and help the best I can. Um, We may get into some things, but you are the one to, you get to say, nope, you know, yes, let's look at that. Or what, you know? Yeah. Um, And so, you know, I, I really like I, I mean, I like being the killer journey buddy. That's sort of my little tagline is like, And I do like the idea that people need help. People need support, right? Like, so I don't want to be just this robot that says, well, I don't know what you think. I don't know what do you think.
2: It Mm -hmm. it reminds me of at least a half a dozen therapists I had at one point in time that were like, and how does that
0: make you feel? (laughs) Well, now I'm irritated. (laughs) (laughs) Super irritated with you. I feel like I'm getting nowhere. Well, there's, and I hear a lot of generalizations, but I've definitely... I have definitely heard enough stories where people have gone to whatever therapist and felt like they were listened to real well. And that's about it. Yep. Yeah.
1: That's been my experience a lot.
0: Right. Me too. I've had that too. Like loving people, but I don't feel like I solved anything. Mm -hmm. I maybe I got some. It's been a lot of of money. Yeah. (laughs) I know some great therapists too, who very much have been um, helpful with solutions and practices and knowledge and that, and, super grateful for that but um uh but yeah that's why I like coaching can you can be a real partner to someone um and remain in the respectful spot of not in you're not in control or whatever you're there offer up like possibilities or what about that or good questions like I find coaching like asking all the right good questions and you and I both kind of are are lean toward the metaphysical. And so I started really labeling myself an intuitive life coach because it's just way too often. I'm coaching someone where I will get a gut feeling and be like, is it really more about this? And someone's reaction will be like, Holy hell. Like one, how'd you know that? Two, wow, you really nailed it. Like you're looking inside my head, get out. (laughs) You know what I mean? So, and I believe we all have intuition. This isn't like, uh, special magic people I believe everybody has this not everybody believes that but um but you and I bent, sort of have are bent us towards that um and you've gone and dabbled into um, uh, other uh, learning forms right so that's what yeah. we were I was mentioning in our intro too that you have gone and done massive studies around what is called human design and gene keys And so Tanya can you explain first, as best you can, it's a very, it's deep and complicated and amazing. So I know it'll be hard to maybe encompass, but will you describe basically what human design is and then what gene key study is? I'd be happy to. And I also want to
2: interject a little bit of my own, sort of my own lens that I view this through and why this has been so helpful for me So essentially, I was first introduced to gene keys, and I was like, what is this gene key? And it's G-E-N-E, like your genetic genes, uh, which I found very interesting because I had just completed, um, I think one of the college courses I took was cellular biology, and we were talking all about genes and our genetics and the codons and, and all that pretty much make up all of who we are and I found out that the gene keys was based on both the Chinese the 64 Chinese I Ching and astrology Um, and so I I got some of the books and I started reading it and I was like ouch my brain was hurting a little bit (laughs) trying to look at all of this (laughs) going
0: those books are not small either I've seen those books (laughs) I got one (laughs) Yes, I
2: have, I have all, I have all of the ones that are available so far. Um, <laughs> but I started investigating into that, trying to understand, trying to wrap my brain around it. And then one of my friends said, have you ever heard of human design? And uh, so my friend Tiffany said, well, do you know if you're like a manifestor, a manifest generator? I'm, I'm really curious what you are. And I was like, huh? <laughs> What are you even talking about? Um, exactly. <laughs> we'll come to find out that human design was started with uh, Ru, and I can't think of the, the last part of his thing, but um, human design was also based on that, and Richard Rood, who developed Gene Keys, was a student of human design first, and then he mm. had this sort of like spiritual awakening where the Gene Keys got downloaded into him. And so, uh, and then he wrote the books and shared gene keys. And essentially, they're like if you look at a human design chart and a gene keys chart next to each other, you can see where they connect and have basically like the same things where the the lines or uh, what's called in human design, a gate is called a key in gene keys, but they essentially mm. relate to the same one through 64 gates and or keys. Um, And so when I first started looking at this, um, I was also studying with uh, Dr. Sue Mortar and somebody brought up the bus stop conversation to me. And the best conversation essentially was we choose to come here and have a human experience and my scientific brain wanted to say hmm. <laughs> uh, but the more i started looking at things i was like okay i just like i had been very heavily into when i was studying for medicine cellular biology law of thermodynamics and energy cannot be created or destroyed. And what is that thing that beats in our heart? Like I had just been doing uh, drawings for my anatomy and physiology. And I knew about like the node in the heart that is responsible for the entire electrical impulse that goes on, that beats the body. What makes that impulse keep going? So I listened to the bus stop conversation with an open mind. And at first it pissed me off because I thought, <laughs> wait a minute, I didn't come here and ask for all this crap to happen mm-hmm. to me. Like I didn't ask to be abused. I didn't ask to be, um, assaulted. I didn't ask to have all these health issues. And then, um, and then I realized, uh, Some people are not going to like me for saying this, but I know it's coming. Like I kind of did, right? That was part of the looking at the contrast of having enough of what I don't want to have some deep clarity as to what I do want. And in that process of forgiveness allowed for a transformation to occur And so how all of this fits in with like gene keys in human design is I came to this understanding. I I had my own sort of spiritual awakening moment when I found out that my father was dying. Um, Mm -hmm. I had been doing back to the the therapist. um, I had seen a number of therapists over the course of my life after suicide attempts and um, anxiety and depression and all kinds of issues. And the one therapist that that I think was probably the the greatest gift that I had introduced me to inner child work. So in this Mm -hmm. moment that I had um, my awakening, if you, if you want to call it that was I was doing some inner child work. um, When I found out that my father was dying, who I had not had a relationship with since he had kicked me out at 15.
0: Mm -hmm.
2: And I had this moment where my little girl appeared to me and she had a heart. She had my dad's heart in one hand and my mom's heart in another. And she said, this is the reason that you're here is to teach love. It's to teach Mm. how to have that transformational experience of compassion and love. It's not about what you maybe need or don't need from him. It's about what he needs from you. And and this experience that you came here with intention to have. So the bus stop experience was this, um, this idea that we come to have a human experience. The energy precedes the manifestation of the physical body and that we basically are co-creating with our soul family, with our energy family, like we're all one. Mm -hmm. And um, the, the time, the entry, the location of our birth gives indication. It's sort of like our geo coordinates for our soul (laughs) in our manifested experience. And when I saw how gene keys tied into that, when I saw how human design tied into that and what it was teaching me how to start connecting things together, that's when my healing just exploded um the amount of growth that i've experienced since i've been contemplating my keys and learning how to work within my design has been epic i mean there's just no no english or i don't know any other language that can even mm-hmm. convey the experience that it has helped me see um, so much so that, like my mom's passing, I have found myself experiencing like such amazing love and gratitude and compassion because now I can see so much of how my mom and dad helped me co-create. In fact, last I was up at four o'clock this morning with <laughs> uh, with charts and Mm -hmm. um and noticing how my mother and father's chart overlap within my own
0: Mm -hmm.
2: which has been incredible
0: so well and I I think it's oh there's always a lot oh my god yeah so and I have worked uh with Tanya Tanya I've had her coach me too on like uh, and a couple people had my human design chart done and then you and I have started to talk about and it's fascinating. It's like tip of the iceberg kind of thing. And I think for what you just described too, like, I think the the person who uh, doesn't know much about metaphysics and all that kind of stuff could sound like what, but I actually find a lot of those concepts true in a lot of religion, right? That like God works in mysterious ways and, you know, like there are things to learn out of, tragedies and things like that and leanings towards like looking looking at things that way and all all of that so i think a lot of things are very universal yes are very universal but the and to me the interesting thing about like well one okay here's the first i thought i'd get this here's the first jinky book people and holy hell (laughs) like this is just book one (laughs) a lot of pages Oh, my God. And since I will reveal I am a manifest generator, this looks like a manual to me. And my whole person implodes when I see it. I'm just like, oh, God, I haven't even cracked it open like that's
2: That's why you have somebody that helps you sort of take a little piece and like sample. I mean, imagine that's your whole life's meal. Yes, because all we all have all of the keys within us and certain ones take on certain flavors and notes And it's the things that we are part, like more the, the highlight of our experience. So yeah, when you look at those books, it it can be very overwhelming trying to even wrap your brain around what does this mean? And then don't even talk to me about lines. What did the lines mean? Oh Um, God. Yeah. Yeah. But being able to maybe take a piece and, sort of savor it and work with it especially if it's something that's in your chart that's highlighted Mm -hmm. like our our charts are basically just our highlights Mm -hmm. because we all have all 64 codons we have all 64 of these in our genes in our genetic DNA code
1: Right. Interesting. I guess that's why you want a coach to help you because people like me don't want to learn a whole book. You know, like trust you guys to do it.
0: Yeah. (laughs) Yeah, because she's really good at that. (laughs) Like, I don't know. Just tell me what that. Just tell me. Give me a synopsis. Yeah. But the interesting thing too about human design and even Gene Keys, um, like not the same, but how people might feel when you maybe you figure out like what your sign is, right? Your Libra or whatever. When you read, let's say those books for the first time, they can't really describe general things, but general things where you're like, oh wow, that is really me, right? But m- maybe it's general, but maybe it, you're, it's familiar and you're like, oh wow, those, you know, I'm very Libra, you know what I mean? Like if you see the description of Libra, there's, I'm like, oh yeah, a lot of that's very true about me. Or if you, you know, read something about Scorpio or whatever. So there's like one tier, Um, But what I, and what I find amazing is human design is a whole nother, a whole nother layer of also subtle, subtle things like a whole, put that on top Um, because human design will also, what I have found really helpful and interesting is it will also point out ways how I process things, what kind of processing works for me. Um, how I function because of what I am. And in that way, I kind of don't feel bad about it. Like, especially specifically, so like I said, I'm a manifest generator. And I will ask you to say, like, what are all the things like, but one of the things you've showed me that I thought was, and this is an odd, but very helpful thing to me, like, manifest generators will get ideas, right? Like, very energized, get ideas, we met, man- like, we will tons of ideas, 20 million ideas. Right. But what's important for a manifest generator is like, yeah, have those ideas and then take a pause. Right. Like say, you know, when you go to say yes or no to something, Mm -hmm. I have to go say, say yes in your head. And then you need to sit with it for a minute because we can very much be like, yes, in one moment. And then two days later, like, yeah, no.
1: Yes. In your head. And that no is a no. Yeah. But no in your heart. (laughs) (laughs)
0: <laughs> yeah, like a no in my heart. But explain that to someone who's like, dude, you, to someone on the outside might be like, you're flitty, you're flitty all over the place. You'll say yes to something and then no the next day. I mean, in our general culture, that would look really flighty, you know, or really. um But for me, that's actually a real thing to be like, well, on, for several reasons, like on one day it did feel right, but like two days later, something else has happened and, or I, maybe I've learned something else and I'm like, mm, no. But I, I try and work with that the best I can so that I'm not peeving everybody off. You know what I mean? Yeah.
2: A good deal of that also comes from conditioning that we've had that programming, that patterning that I talked about Mm -hmm. in the, in the early part of, we've been disconnected from our own truth, our own selves, being able to listen to our bodies. Um, It's like our energy that runs our bodies, what we say goes. And if we have been taught not to listen to our own inner guidance, then we oftentimes find ourselves caught in that space in between. The manifestor part of us is the one that can just like, those ideas are always, always, always coming in. And if we have a adaptive patterning, I call it like adaptive patterning, our adaptive stress response, how we've managed to survive, Mm -hmm. uh, that says that we need to do all the things to please someone else, or we need to do like every idea that we get seems like an amazing idea. Um, we have to do this because we have to make some money or we have to um, show people what we're capable of, right? But sometimes that idea will come in as a precursor to something else. Now, if we are in touch with the generator part of us, uh, if we're in touch with that part of us, we're going to instinctively, we're going to get that idea And we're going to notice, like, is this something I'm excited about? And the first place we have to go to is the body. And most people are so completely Mm -hmm. disconnected from their bodies Mm -hmm. that they will just say yes right from the get-go. Versus, like, now I'll get an idea. Like Every day when I sit and I meditate for a little bit, I have stuff just constantly streaming. Um, And in this stream... There used to be this, oh, you need to get on Facebook and tell people about this so that you will basically promote yourself as a life coach or blah, blah, blah. And then when I would go to do it, it would just feel like mm, mm-hmm. this feels like I'm forcing something. This feel doesn't feel genuine or authentic. So I learned to have those ideas, sit with them, give them a little space, see how they felt in my body. And if when it came to that point where I couldn't but not... I couldn't not say something that was then the right time because I was a full yes. Yeah, that's I that's feel advice. it in my body.
1: Yeah. I mean, yeah. everybody should do that. Like stop, think about it, process it, and then act out on it if you need to still.
2: But our culture yeah. has not promoted that. Like no. our, our culture, our society um, has not given us space for pause. Everything has always got to be in a hurry. Everything is always like the idea of sitting down and allowing space Mm
1: -hmm. is not. I mean, social media and the technology is all about fast, instant. Instagram's name is instant (laughs) sharing for a reason. It's like, don't think post that picture. I love that. Yeah.
0: I love that. Yeah. Yeah. Well, Tanya, remember, so I have had Tanya coach me. She's currently coaching me on very specific parts of my life. And we are, what I love about it is that we're getting to the root of some things. And so you had said something to me recently about, um, and described to me like my survival mode, like but we were having a session and you were like, Oh you have been in survival mode and I was like oh what do you mean explain and so will you and the reason why I'm having you explain this I don't mind sharing this is that it was another perspective that our that I hadn't honored or seen and of course our culture wasn't gonna you know give space to reveal so would you mind like resharing what you'd said to me about me in the survival mode Um,
2: I, I don't even have to specifically share it about you because it's something that comes up for me. It's something that pretty much comes up for every one of my clients that I work with and my friends that I talk to, right? (laughs) Um, Everybody. (laughs) We have these survival adaptations that we're oftentimes just completely unconscious of. We don't have that awareness. We're sort of stuck in that survival response that, and that automatic reflex to jump away from the knife is programmed into our bodies because from the time that we're like born actually a little bit in utero until we're around the age of seven, eight, nine years old. We are in a hypnotic state. Our brainwaves are basically have us in a condition where we're just believing and downloading everything as truth. So depending on what kind of experiences we had as children, um, what kind of family comes through. Like, um, I can't remember. I need to find this study. But there was a study done, especially with like people from Auschwitz and um, and people of color, the traumas can come through. They know at least five generations. It's Mm. in your DNA. Right. So every time we adapt and evolve. To stay alive, those adaptations go into our DNA and then they're passed on. I remember when I went and saw the therapist, um, I actually, we were taking our daughter. She was very angry at the time, a teenager. And when that therapist sat down and said, you know, we hand this anger, we hand these conditions down in our DNA, I was like, wait, what?
1: Yeah. I've heard epi- it referred tra- to as like generational traumas. You know, it's like, they, exactly. They pro- progressing. Is that,
0: yeah. is that epigenetics? Yes. Right. Okay. Yes. Yeah. My sister was so, like, dude, you got to check out epi- epigenetics. Yeah. Biology of belief
2: by Bruce Lipton. If you look at um, Dr. Joe Dispenza or Dr. David mm. Hawkins, um, who has passed, but also wrote some amazing books. Um the epigenetic, it's the environment of the cell. So whatever our belief is, is what's being essentially programmed. And a lot of that programming is in our physical bodies, right? It is just already there. It's the reason why you don't have to get up in the morning and think, who am I? Oh, that's right. I'm Carrie Ocray. How Mm -hmm. do I walk? How do I go to the bathroom? How do I wipe my butt? Like all of those things, right? We don't have to think about that. It's just who we are, it's programmed into our body and our brains are thinking about other things. Our minds have taken over the job of the physical animal's instinct. Mm -hmm. And so what happens is our minds are always on the lookout. They're scanning, they're scanning the environment. And this is happening inside at a cellular level too. Our cells are scanning the environment to find out whether they're safe or not. And so as the human cellular animal, our cells make up our tissues, our tissues make up our organs, our organs make up our body. Um, We are always scanning for threats because this is, this is years, years, years of, um, of programming. Right. And so, um, they, they talk about this in animals as well, how um, like one generation can adapt to eating a different kind of food. I think there was like a hundred monkeys study. Oh yeah. At, right? Yeah. So those stress adaptations are basically the things that, that we, we bring on on time, oftentimes completely unaware that they have been programmed into us either in our DNA or in our childhood. And so we have these stress adaptations that are scanning our environment for what we consider unsafe. So for one person being unsafe might be the husband that when they get in a fight leaves and okay. they feel abandoned and alone. And so that would have me do things like, um, I, I call it the the garbage can incident, um, <laughs> in my in my healing phase, one of the things that came up um, is I, I was bringing in a bunch of stuff one day and I got super excited because a book came in the mail that I was like, I cannot wait to read this. It was called uh, When the Body Says No by Dr. Gabor Maté. Mm-hmm. And um, I literally came in from the, the the mail and I started to bring the garbage can in and I realized I couldn't get it around my husband's truck without, um, potentially having it like our sidewalk is kind of canted. So I thought, Mm -hmm. I don't want the can to scratch his truck. So I left it there. And when I got the mail and I saw my book was there, I came in nose immediately went into the book, left the garage door open with all my husband's, um, scuba and camera gear out there. I left the garbage can in front of the truck, completely forgot all about it. And I had my nose in that book and he, came into my office and he said, I'm going to go fill the truck up with gas because he was going diving the next morning. And I'm like, okay, all right, I'll see you. I'll see you in a little bit. And he comes back in and he says, why was the garage door open? And I was like, Ooh, crap. Totally forgot about that. So sorry. Is everything okay? He said, yeah. Closes the door. And then about maybe 30 seconds or so later, I hear the garbage can coming around the side of our house. And my husband and I was like, oh crap. And I opened up our slide, my sliding glass door in my office. And he's like, what the hell? The garbage can was right in front of the truck. I couldn't even see it. Mm -hmm. And I just, I froze. It Mm -hmm. was like blank blue screen. Mm -hmm. I wanted to say something, but I couldn't. He's like, how did that get there? And all I could say was, is the truck okay? Did you hit it? He's like, yeah, I hit it. I couldn't even see it. It was right in front of the truck. Like the sensor was going off. I, I, I thought it was something else. And so it took me running out to the front of the house before I could say it was me that left it there. And my husband, married to a life coach, he's like, you might want to sit with that and ask yourself yeah. why it took you all the way yeah. until coming around to the front of the house yeah. to say something. I'm like, you're right. So I did go and I sat and I, you know, I turned my attention inward. And in that moment, because I've built up quite a relationship with my inner child, she's like, mm. but when you make them mad, they leave. And you wanted mm. to lie, but you also have said, I have the intention Of not being someone without integrity someone who lies like always tell the truth and so essentially my in the midst of neuro changing my neurobiology the environment of my cells i couldn't say anything but this was like one of the pivotal points this is a stress adaptation that we that we lie or that we keep ourselves too busy. Hence my, like, I need to be coached on my calendar. I don't know why I keep putting (laughs) shit on there. Um, so yeah, what I, what I saw in you was you've had this stress, stress adaptation to keep yourself busy to, you know, try to be mom of the year, because that means that maybe (laughs) you're, you're worthy. Um, In fact, it was you that actually challenged me at one point with my calendar. What if you didn't do anything you thought you should have to or need to for an entire month? And I was like,
0: are you insane?
2: Yeah. Yeah. So, so this, this um, being in a state of stress response, your stress adaptations are how we have coped with these stories that we have been carrying for a lifetime and sometimes Generations and beyond that we've held in our tissues, in our cells, in the environment of ourselves. And that reprogramming takes a little time. And one of the most challenging things about it is being able to have the awareness of it. And mm-hmm. the awareness comes in slowing down, continually turning that attention back inward and not being distracted by all of the things that are going on outside of us where we, where our brains want to tell us the threats out here, the threats, this person, this threat is social media. This threat is like, we got to keep an eye on all of these things outside of us, but right. the real threat is inside ourselves.
1: Yeah. Right? That's one of the things I have a hard time with is like giving myself the space to mm-hmm. recognize that type of stuff. Yeah. You know? So, yeah.
0: Well, and you know, Ta- I, Tanya, I think we're both fascinated too with the, and have sort of chosen and, and want to right to do all this kind of healing and and initially like taking the pause. That's like when I talk about like decide, believe, go. I'm like the first thing in deciding is stop. Like stop. Be quiet. You know, mm-hmm. listen, notice, or you know, at least create silent stopped space for whatever you want to reconnect with yourself. Like you're mentioning, well, massively to reconnect with yourself and your intuition. Um, But also just to like you're saying, create this like silent space to notice and pay attention because all of this does need to be healed before you make that like authentic choice or the choice that really, really works for you. And it's, it is is so much about like reconnecting to your inner self. And yes, inner child. Like anybody who ever does the like hand on your belly button, hand on your chest. And you just, even if you just imagine like what, one, what age, in, you know, you don't let people think about it. It's like, okay, what childhood age do you identify with? Like I'm always like eight years old. And so then I'm like, okay, well ask your eight-year-old. You know, and for reasons, like the eight, eight to me is like, I see myself as the sovereign carry. Um mm-hmm. Like, what what does she need? Like, just literally just opening and be like, what do you need? And you'd be amazed at the things that come up. Like, I need a hug, you know, <laughs> like, or um, I don't like this. Um, and then honoring all of that stuff. Like, I yeah. don't like this. And that's been a huge thing for me and working and working and talking to you, too. About the survival mode is that in survival mode, if it never stops, then I never get to that or anyone ever gets to that deeper stuff. Any of those unused muscles um, like the um, permission to say what works for me and what doesn't based Mm -hmm. solely on me, which needs no proving and no permission um you know to say it's like okay like that just doesn't work for me and empowering that like all of that just work is a game changer it is a complete life changer and this stuff is what i love about life coaching cuz it's not it's not just about the goal that you want to reach it's about game changing and empowering your whole self forever if possible right like forever right. Um, it's like, teach a man to fish, whatever, like give a man a fish for a day, teach a man to fish, you know, like it really is kind of like that, like, um, for you, right. And for this person, and then that way they can go forward making decisions that truly work for them, not what they think is correct. Right. There's a lot of that. So I love, you know, you know me this is the shit i love we love to go right. deep okay <laughs> yeah yeah
2: and it's it's one of the things that i have come to learn is the first thing you have to do is establish some safety because if mm. people don't feel safe either mm-hmm. you know within themselves or even with you they're going to keep all of that stuff tamped mm-hmm. down in the box up on the shelf like away because One of the things that makes this work very challenging sometimes is that as we are coming out of functional freeze or functional fight or flee, we get flooded with all the stories and they feel like they're us. They feel like this is who I am, not this is the experience that I had.
0: Right. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Again, paradigm, mind blowing. I love it. You know what I mean? Just challenging what you up until this point currently thought was the truth and how the truth could be. That's just what you were taught. It's not something you really believe, right? Like, or the culture is telling you that that's correct or the truth you know yeah. and, and do we have to all abide by a collective truth <laughs> you know like <laughs> maybe you have your own individual truth um on on and I'm not talking about like larger <laughs> like i don't want to agree that it's not okay to murder somebody but it's like <laughs> but you know like someone's like it doesn't work for me to work this way or it doesn't you know like i don't feel safe if uh, i don't like this i don't you know that's why I don't know if you and I were talking about how maybe I was talking to my husband, who's a teacher. I was like, that's why I feel like it's important to like for little kids, like just Mm -hmm. seeing them, telling them like, I see you. I mean, bad behavior is not, not of course not. Okay. But like kids also are somewhat kids. Right. And kids are very good at going like, I don't like that. You know, they're also good at going like you're a jerk or whatever. Like they don't have, you know, the social skills aren't built in, but some of that, If you, I think if you could just see them, that's the beginning of a muscle they are going to need later. Yeah. Right? You could teach politeness and all of that, but, like, also, I don't know. You tell me what works for you, and why can't I, in some cases, right, say, all right, I I don't have to agree with you, but apparently that's what you think, (laughs) Mm -hmm. you
2: know? Yeah, we could probably spend an entire time talking about kids and how we squash their spirits, and how so many of us are afraid to let their true spirit be out and about because we think we have, we, the parents, have the story that if they behave this way, then, sure. X is going to happen because that was our experience. So, if we have children that are doing what we what we, through our lens view as um, not being socially polite, then we think, oh, they're going to not and oftentimes we're actually not really aware of this, but there's this belief that if they are rude, that they won't have any friends. They won't make any connections. And we as human beings inherently know it's a cellular DNA animalistic kind of thing that we need connection. Um, and so we, some parents will squash their children's spirits. Make sure you say please and thank you and don't take too much. And like we have that sort of, Mm -hmm. um, detachment or, um, I'm trying to think of what the right wording is here, but that, Mm -hmm. um, like you will behave so that you fit in so that you're not kicked out of the tribe. Mm -hmm. Um, versus like, I had an experience, um, my husband was diving and I went with him and I was standing on the water, um, the edge of the water waiting for him to come up and there was a little kid there with his grandmother and his grandmother was engaged in a, like a FaceTime phone conversation. And the kid was throwing rocks in the water, right where I saw my husband's bubbles coming from. And Mm -hmm. I just ever so politely said, could I ask you to stop throwing rocks just for a minute? Like, I don't care if you want to keep doing it, but just for a minute. And his grandmother, came over and was just like, don't you tell him to you. She was like, you keep throwing rocks. You keep doing whatever. I'm like, Oh, this is functional fight. Mm -hmm. And the, the message that she was giving her grandson was, don't you let anybody tell you what to do? So there's like, there's both sides of the spectrum Mm -hmm. and what was coming through her. I could very much see was probably all the times that she maybe felt oppressed and needed to fight to be heard, to be seen, to be allowed to be who she was. And so I just was like, I'm not going to, I'm not going to get in a
0: fight or a power struggle here. Mm
2: -hmm.
0: Right. Well, I mean, and she doesn't know you, and she doesn't know your husband's diving right there. You know, she doesn't know that. Hey, I'm just asking because my husband's diving right there. I would prefer he didn't get hit by a rock
1: exactly there is a person out there
0: yeah right and we're all on on some hands we're all well we're all connected and we're all strangers right and it, and we're all so complex and mm-hmm. i parenting is man i'm telling you i have i have had girlfriends who were like on the fence about kids and i was like i can talk you into that and i could talk you out of that <laughs> but um because a, a lot of parents obviously just want the best for their kids they're pulling from their own experiences, right? Uh, Often Mm -hmm. there isn't the handbook on kids. There's plenty of books out there on raising kids, but you you know, I think a lot of parents have good intentions, right? Like uh, this is what I have to give you. This is because I want you to be safe. I want you to quote unquote succeed. I want you to be happy. Like it's all general, um, good, good reasons. But what I've learned this year in a big lesson is like, um, One, I'm like, what works for me, it doesn't work for my son. Like, I am not, my son is not, we are different, right? He's an introvert. I'm like a, whatever you call it, like, I'm a little bit of both, right? But I'm social, like, so I'm only pulling two things. I'm pulling from, like, my experience as who I am, which isn't like him, but I'm also pulling from my experience from the era I grew up in, which is not like his era. Right. So right. I'm not gonna lay 1970s, 80s like here's what's seen, you know, as as the rules that will help him in the era of, you know, global internet. Like he's raised on it's just not the same.
1: Yeah, you can't tell him and to so, go watch the Smurfs and go play on his bike and walkie-talkie <laughs> anymore, you know? Come on.
0: Or going like here the topic was going back to school and anxiety. He's in junior high, so hello junior high. Um, But in this day and age, junior high, with the experience he's having, with what he's um, not getting raised on, but like his anxiety, my approach to like his anxiety was kind of like limited because when I'm not like him, I grew up in a different way. I grew up just you know, as a different person, but also like how I would handle it doesn't work for so many reasons. And that kind of like – then how am I supposed to – how am I supposed to be a good parent, you know, right? And what I found was, and my husband's actually really great at this, is by stopping and and listening, it's a let go in a lot of ways. like, you tell me what works and then have some belief in that. And it's yeah. not easy. It's not easy because we're like, what, you know you still, there's still boundaries and rules. Like my kid is still junior high. There's still a little bit, maybe a little, I'm mom. So there's a little more manipulation going on there in a loving way. There just is a little bit of like, Hey, I know I can call you and say, can I come home? Can I come home? You know, mm-hmm. not with his dad, you know what I mean? But h- how do we navigate it? How do I navigate the mom guilt? How do I, how do I not, uh, h- how do I help you in any way? And sometimes it's kind of a passive help. Of like, I hear you, I see you, I'm listening. Here's a couple of the boundaries, guardrails. I mean, there's a couple, right? Like, we don't just not not go to school. And don't get me about, I'm going to get a whole session about school. <laughs> <laughs> Public school. Don't even get me started. Um, it's. It's. I'm just saying, it's, I guess what I'm saying, it's complicated and it's not easy. And what we think we're supposed to do or contribute might not help at all. Mm-hmm. Like I didn't – no one in my family said, here's how you raise a kid, right? I'm only pulling from what I know or who I am, my era, and it is just completely different. And so how is that going to help him? Hey, go be like me. (laughs) You know? Hey, do things like me. Hey, do things like I did in the 80s. Hey, you know what I mean? Like go in your environment, go do this old thing. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Oh, it's so hard. We try to do that with ourselves all the time too.
2: We try and take, um, we try and take our past and turn it into our future. Like this is how we should do things. Mm -hmm. And that's, that's where we get into trouble too, right? Because we're not only are we doing it through our lens, but we're still doing it through these unconscious patterns and beliefs that we've brought forward from our parents. Mm -hmm. So it's, it's muddied with that as well. Um, I think probably one of the, the most challenging things that I've found, um, like once I got past guilt and shame, uh, of, oh my gosh, I screwed my kid up because I didn't know what I didn't know when I didn't know it. Right. Um, is just being able to see them as these, as the perfect beings that they are, and tr- having some trust that they're they're going through their journey they're going through their yeah. path and to just be super curious about that instead of thinking that we have to tell them how they should live their lives or what their boundaries should be or what their um where their internal compass should be pointed just being super curious about their experience and noticing where um where our stuff comes up yeah. in their experience and yeah it's that's also a big part of uh the transformation journey right is mm-hmm. seeing how other people have been affected by us or have been maybe impacted by our story and how can we allow ourselves not to shame or guilt ourselves, right? That's, I've spent quite a bit of time, er- not eradicating, but um, allowing those stories to leave about shame or guilt right. and knowing that their experience is part of what they came here for.
0: Right. Well, and you know what I've found probably the hardest to learn in the this uh, as school started and everything, it's like realizing how many of my stories I'm projecting onto it. Like because of my sense of lack of control or knowledge or just not knowing what to do, I'm relying on basically the story I th- that's coming to me, right? Which is not necessarily the truth. Mm-hmm. So, for instance, like my son is introverted. And school started up again and his anxiety like went through the roof and that's, that scared me. Right. Like, um, and how he, what works best for him or what he prefers. I was putting stories on, right. Like Orion's a one-on-one person. He really likes to talk to someone one-on-one. Um, crowds are overwhelming. So, he was going to school and sitting by himself at lunch and i had a whole story like oh man so sad and oh my god i don't want that for you and you like the, you can tell there's like this whole story what want what for him like you know like he's uh, like, like this oh this is he,
1: great i get lunch by myself he
0: totally does <laughs> exactly but i've got this whole sad story of he's alone and lonely and sad kid and, like it's full on projected story onto him mm-hmm. where he, and luckily again, my husband is also introverted. He can, he really has had the same feelings growing up was sort of like, no, that's just what he likes. And he's fine. And it took, it kind of broke my brain a little bit to be like, Oh, because I just don't, I don't know any better. I'm just trying to do the best I can, but wow, I, this is the year I've really, I've really stopped to look at like any place I am projecting my story. It's it, it's me trying to do the best I can, but it's actually a lot of projecting stories. And so I'm really trying to, I'm really trying to learn that. I'm really trying to notice that. So almost one, I can set myself free because I am actually in a lot of pain, a lot of worry, a lot of all this stuff. And I actually kind of believe it's not necessary. Like you're, you're in a lot of pain for not a reason you need to have, (laughs) but that's been a learn. That's been a massive learning lesson for me. Um,
2: The other thing I, I want to interject in there, it's like realizing, allowing yourself some Mm self-compassion because we have, we have the suffering come up, like pain, pain is just part of the human condition, pain and pleasure, right? We Mm -hmm. have both ends of the spectrum. And when we start to realize how we have been essentially like we, we see it as, unnecessarily suffering maybe as we start to release these stories as Brené Brown loves to say and like the story I'm telling myself is this
0: mm-hmm.
2: and then having some compassion this is oftentimes the thing that people are missing the most they're either guilting themselves shaming themselves beating themselves up for mm-hmm. having having focused on that or like why didn't I see why couldn't I see my son for who he is instead of seeing him for Mm -hmm. who I am right Mm -hmm. but that's how we view the world We don't view the world as it is we view the world as we are and that's just normal human condition right and
0: and what I was thinking as you were talking there too I'm like in my action that was really about like, here's what I can give you. Like, here's what I can contribute. Here's what I, how, how I believe I could help you. I want to, I want to contribute to helping. I want to be helpful to you. Here's what, here's what I think is helpful. Um, is not, not necessarily needed. It's such a human thing to like, go, I just want to help. Mm-hmm. Right. Like, and, and here's what I think I have to contribute that I actually think is helpful, but for him, that might just not matter so much. Right. So that's, that's a whole concept. And you're right. Like having compassion around that. Like, that's one thing I feel like my little family has w- tried to work really hard at is being forgiving to ourselves as we're learning. Cause it's, it's quite mm-hmm. the awkward walk, right? Like, And it's easy to flit flit off into defensiveness and hurt feelings and things like that. So I really just appreciate that my family will kind of get in there and be like, well, okay, what's going on here? Like like just – I love the fact that even when it's uncomfortable, we're all like – I don't think any of us really knows what's happening, right? You know what I mean? Like admitting you don't know Mm -hmm. what to do. You don't know really what's, where's this coming from. Like that's a good spot too. Like just to say like, okay, we don't know. It's a very uncontrolled place. So a lot of people don't go there. Mm-hmm. Um, it takes a lot of faith, it's, trust, and
2: it's terrifying. And from somebody who's been, been in a place of functional freeze, you're, uh, you're constantly like scanning your surroundings for safety and venturing into something that's unknown or saying, I don't know, or I don't know why I'm feeling this way. Um, can be like that is that lack of safety so it's really hard it can oftentimes be very difficult to go there
0: yeah well and this is this is why getting support at all like i really sort of go on and on i think about like get support ask for help don't isolate like if i'm posting on instagram or facebook or whatever that's a a, a huge message because support be it a therapist or a life coach like um, that you deserve support. It's so complicated, like things are complicated, and that's okay. Um, but it, I really am a, a big, everybody is, and I know you are too, Tony. like, ask for help. I mean, sometimes I know people will hear um, things like invest in yourself, it's worth it. Um, which I think is true but I think another way to say that too is like you deserve support you just this is complicated Mm -hmm. this isn't you know you don't have to go it alone you don't have to do that this is why this is why I love life coaching this is why I know you love life coaching it feels one we know have been we're humans too right we've been through a lot of things it feels so fulfilling to be able to Witness someone else, be there for them, let someone know, like, yeah, I see you, i you know you're not crazy. Yeah. Um, let me offer some like wisdom or uh partnership, even on your journey um is it's so anyways, I just have deep appreciation, and I know you do too, Tanya, like it's why you're what's why you're in the biz, lady, That's right <laughs> yeah yeah no i love it i feel like tanya i swear to god we could we might need to do a part two so just gear your calendar up i (laughs) there's so well we barely we barely even talked about like human design and gene keys and all sorts of stuff so i think i'm gonna i'm gonna touch base with you later and i think it would be really great just to take human design and just talk about all the things um I just I've I've just really enjoyed like all the stuff that you've learned. And I will say for folks too, like if you're looking for a great life coach, Tanya is I can't even recommend it. Tanya coaches me. So uh, and it has been deeply transformative, like deeply in a way that I am so grateful for. I'm always so unhappy to unlock shit. Mm -hmm. Right. Because I want to be happy. And yeah. I want to go on to do amazing things and be happy when I'm doing them. <laughs> Call me crazy. It's
1: yeah. totally crazy. Yeah. Why would anybody <laughs> want to do that?
0: <laughs> I, care.
2: I am grateful for you. I, I, it's a co-creative relationship with my clients and, and my friends and all the people, right? Um, so like my yeah. life is, is better for knowing you and Aww. far richer for, for being your friend and, Happy to be your
0: coach as well. Thank you. That's really nice of you. Thank you so much. Yeah. Okay. Well, we're, you're, you know way too much. So, so we're going to have to have <laughs> you back on. You know way too many things. Um, um, so lastly, though, do you want to tell us a little bit like how to get a hold of you? We could say it here. We're definitely going to post links and anything to contact Tanya and our website. Um, but is there anything you want to share like what's coming up, how to get a hold of you, yada yada?
2: Uh so how to get a hold of me, you can go to my website, TanyaSisson.com. You can uh find me on Facebook or Instagram. I don't spend the time I used to on Facebook, but mm-hmm. uh you can always send me a message there. Either um I have a couple of pages there, coaching tenacity as well as uh Tanya Sisson Intuitive. And um like I'm fine posting my phone number um, up as well. It's
0: very brave so if of you, you want
2: to do <laughs> very brave. Yeah. <laughs> if, uh, if you want to do that, that's, that's also fine. Um, like I'll either, I'll either answer or I won't. Um, and as far as what's coming up, I'm so excited about some of the things that are on the horizon. You and yeah. I Carrie, are working together, um, on a project that is, like it, it is who I am. Um, and what is so exciting about that is we're putting together who university
1: mm-hmm. where
2: you get to learn how to be who you want to be instead of going to, a, a school, if you will, of how do I, how do I do this? How do I do that? Like becoming the person that we want to be is in who we are becoming it's not in how we do it because when we look at how we're pulling from the past to try and create our future and what we want to do is be able to step into a new who of who we are so decide believe go is going to be there you and I are going to be there we have several friends that are also a part of this journey that are going to be Some of the faculty at who university, Um, so I'll be putting out more things like this with you Mm -hmm. and with others to uh, to share these conversations and some of the conversations that can be really uncomfortable that people Mm -hmm. it's a little scary to have, but you know we'll we'll sit with you in that really dark space and hold your hand while we're there. So that's what I'm excited about what's coming up because I've always said. The reason I didn't become a therapist or a doctor or anything like that is because I didn't want to tell people what was wrong with them. I want to tell people what's right with them because inherently we all are connected. We all are perfect in every way. And, um, and so that's like, that's my entire mission. So you can find me on my website. You can find me on Instagram or Facebook and, um, you can publish my number if you'd like okay as well um yeah i have That's the awesome. choice choice of whether to answer my yeah. phone or not so as you do yeah
0: yes i'm excited about the few who university is coming folks it's going to be a website it's going to be a podcast it's going to be Um, lessons, online learning lessons, video, there's going to be groups that you can join. It's so it's really exciting to build something. I love to build something and networking and connecting people. I do a program, a three month program of coaching um, called Decide, Believe, Go. And I do things in that three month session. I um, provide a session with you as well so I actually have some people I'll get a hold of you later there's a couple sessions I set up with Tanya so you get a little bit of that and it's it's just spreading like a lot of support I think is it's ex- fun to do and it's exciting to be a part of so um yay us <laughs> yay! <laughs> Woo-hoo! well thank you Tanya and we will do a part two I can feel it.
1: Yeah, thank you, Tanya. Yes. Thank you for sharing so many personal stories. It was uh, yes. it was very touching. So I
0: thank appreciate. You. it. I love it.
2: Thanks. Thanks for love having it. me. This was lots of fun.
0: You're welcome. Anytime. Bye, hun.
2: Love you. Mwah. Mwah.